are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Dolphins. I am your host, Kyle Krabs, managing editor of USA Today's DolphinsWire.com, director of scouting at TheDraftNetwork.com, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, and very excited today to get into some of what we heard when we had the chance to speak with both Brian Flores and Chan Gailey over the course of the past 24 hours, uh, some very interesting comments being made, revealing quite a bit of context as it pertains to the Miami Dolphins. Today's episode is brought to you by Pepsi. This football season will be different, and Pepsi's here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi's the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of of the League of Football Watchers, because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Tuesday, yesterday, we had coordinators and assistant coaches meet with the South Florida media, and and Chan Gailey, uh, during his press availability, talked quite a bit about a number of different dynamics about the Dolphins' offense. And I really appreciated hearing the insight from Coach Gailey as it pertains to uh, what controls Tua Tungavailoa has as the quarterback of the offense versus maybe what we see from Ryan Fitzpatrick when he is in control of the Dolphins' offense because you hear a lot of that feedback. Oh, the the Dolphins give different plays to Ryan Fitzpatrick versus what they give to Tua Tungavailoa, and the answer is yes, they do. Uh, But it's not because of any preferential treatment. It's because of what information has been retained from each of the quarterbacks. And that is not a slight at Tua Tungvalu at all. That is Ryan Fitzpatrick operating in year six or seven of this offense and playing with all these receivers last year. And Shane Gailey said that. He's had a full season of playing with these receivers to understand body language on their routes and get a better feel for who I can trust in what situations and what scenarios to put a ball on a guy and for him to win it. Coach Gailey was also asked, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, it appears as though he has control at the line of scrimmage to make changes. Does Tua Tagovailoa also have that ability? And where's his level of control at the line of scrimmage? And Gailey said it's it's not to the level of fits. Very few people have that ability. He's an amazingly smart guy, and Tua hasn't been in the offense six games yet. It's like comparing apples and oranges. Is he where Fitz is? No, he is not, but he has come a long way, and is he making progress? Yes, very definitely. So I saw that was a quote that got picked up on by Dolphins fans, and I just wanted to give my perspective and point of view on it because I don't think it's hypocritical for the Dolphins to say Tua Tagovailoa gives the Dolphins the best chance to win, but then simultaneously say, but Tua doesn't have the autonomy of the line of scrimmage to change plays as freely as Ryan Fitzpatrick does. Uh, Because the plays and the strengths and weaknesses of each quarterback uh, are prevalent in what calls they are given. And I think with the way Tua Tungvaloa plays, you have more built-in outs to not need to change the play at the line of scrimmage. For an example, half of the Dolphins' first 15 plays were RPOs on Sunday against the Jets. Half. Half! It's a very large number. And uh, when you are a quarterback, most of the time when you're making changes at the line of scrimmage, it's related to 
whether you're running into a congested box or you are passing into a very light box and a lot of defenders out in space. The run pass option already takes care of that because you know you're going to get up to the line and it's just predetermining what other players on the team are doing. You still have the decision. You just make your decision after the snap instead of before the snap based on what alignments the defense is giving you. So Ryan Fitzpatrick has audible opportunities. Tua Tonga-Vailoa effectively makes his decision after the snap in the form of do I give the ball in the mesh point? Do I pull it and throw it to the now screen as J.T. O'Sullivan of the quarterback school calls it? They actually hit that with Fitz in the opening script because it was two over two with off coverage. And because there's as many players on each side of you know that third of the field, but they're playing off and they're playing soft, you get that now screen to Jakeem Grant, and all of a sudden it's, it's a one-on-one block in front of him, and then him one-on-one in the entirety third of the field. It was good awareness in that opportunity to get the ball out there, but they really don't throw those plays with fits, you know, they it was in the opening script because they were building a game plan expecting Tua to be available to play. And I think that's an important kind of acknowledgement to make. Uh, you could tell watching Fitz, you know, just from charting the, the offensive performance in Week 12, you know, the, the accuracy is not great. Uh, the, the footwork, the ability to uh, come out of the mesh point and throw with accuracy – those are not strengths of Ryan Fitzpatrick, but those are plays that we have seen at a greater and greater and greater and greater and greater frequency with Tua Tungvalo in the game. So I think that's... Everybody's looking for who's, who should be accountable for the Dolphins' offensive struggles. But you know, I, I, I do think Chan Gailey is doing some things to put Tua Tungvalo in a position for success that... You know, maybe aren't surface level very apparent and they, they haven't had great results to this point in time, but like, yeah, that's they do call different plays for each quarterback. I enjoyed hearing Chan Gailey talk about, no, we, we really don't have the same audible control, but then you think about the way they call the plays and that makes them no less handcuffed. Every, I know everybody remembers what Ryan Tannehill was like, right? Tannehill for years and years and years, Joe Philbin, they refused to give this man the ability to change anything at the line of scrimmage because they didn't trust him. At least with RPOs, you're not changing the concept, but you have outs based on if they're going to load the box, I'm not just going to hand the ball off on third and two into a loaded box. If I got two over two and they're playing 12 yards off and I'm running slant flat, I'm going to pull and throw the flat and get the first down. So keep that in mind, you know, because I saw Dolphins fans say, man, like, first of all, Chan never used the phrase mastery to refer to either of them. The question referred to, you know, what is the mastery of the offense? And Chan said, you know, to his level in this offense is not to the level of Fitz to this point in time because Fitz has played in this playbook for seven years now. And two has played six games in this offense. When it comes to getting or staying in shape, nothing feels as good as that feeling of accomplishment, of hitting your fitness goals and feeling great about yourself. Echelon can help you get there. Echelon offers the next generation of connected bikes, mirrors, 
rowing machines, and their all-new Echelon Stride Smart Treadmill. No matter what your favorite fitness activity is, Echelon gives you a fun and challenging workout from the comfort of your own home. Their world-class instructors will motivate you on thousands of daily, live, and on-demand studio-level classes, always available when you need them, and unlike their competitors, Echelon is affordable for everyone, and one membership lets up to five family members all work out at the same time. Right now, you can try any Echelon fitness equipment at home for 30 days. Go to echelonfit.com slash NFL to get started. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N fit.com slash NFL to get started. Which kind of takes me to the next thing that I want to talk about, and that is rooted in uh, the personnel and just kind of recapping what the Dolphins did. I don't think from a play calling perspective, there's a lot that we should expect to see for the remainder of the season. I think, you know, as Tua Tagovailoa gets in, probably more and more RPOs. I, I would expect we'll see them at a continued higher frequency uh, with Tua in the game. But the hump that this team has to get over is related to personnel. And I just kind of wanted to review, because this is not the first time I've said that. Um, obviously, the Dolphins at 7-4. and four, Expectations for the team, team have evolved this year, and... The offense is not performing to the level of the defense. Well, why is that? Let's take a little trip down memory lane, right? Dolphins coming out of the 2019 season. Offense was probably ahead of the defense going into last offseason. Well, the Dolphins, they spent five eight-figure contracts in free agency. Four of those five went to players on the defensive side of the ball, and Byron Jones, Kyle Van Noy, Shaq Lawson, and Manuel Agba. Eric Flowers was the only free agent signing for the Dolphins that was a $10 million plus contract overall, not even per year. And then the Dolphins, in the top 100, spend half of their draft picks on the defensive side of the football. They don't draft a running back. They don't draft a wide receiver. They draft two offensive linemen and a rookie quarterback. Top 60 picks in Noah Igbenogany, Raekwon Davis, and Brandon Jones. And Brandon Jones was a third-round pick in, at 70. So half of their premier draft capital, they went right down the middle, 50-50. And 80% of their big-money contracts went to the defensive side of the football. So can we really say we're surprised that the defense, with the investments that we saw made, is performing at a higher level? than what the offense is this year with two or three rookie starters in the offensive line, rookie quarterback. Uh, past couple weeks, it's been a rookie running back. Savan Ahmed is, was missed last week, and, and Matt Burita uh, has not performed well in Miami's system. And obviously with the opt-outs at wide receiver, Malcolm Perry, uh, not believed to be a serious injury, but was knocked out of the game. He was a rookie that played... A triple option quarterback at Navy last year, and now he's the starting slot receiver for the Dolphins. So they're just not there yet from a personnel perspective, and that's okay because we've talked about, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, Dolphins, how they chose to address the 2020 offseason. You're seeing dividends returned in where they chose to invest themselves. So I know that was a power of the pod question is how do you expect the Dolphins 2021 offseason to go? Explosive playmakers is the name of the game. And here's why I, I really like why they chose to do it this way, because I've been spending a lot of time thinking about it since you know we had this conversation last. Doesn't it make sense to see 
Tua Tungavailoa play at the quarterback position in the NFL to kind of get a vibe for how he plays before you start investing premium assets into bringing those kinds of players into the fray? Because what happens if you assumed that Tua Tungavailoa was going to thrive with... Um, back shoulder throws in tight contested areas. And we've seen a little bit that he's still working to find a balance there. So if you went out and you signed a bunch of big physical, like the Dolphins have Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, Mike Gusecki, none of which are prominent separators. And if you went out and you doubled or tripled down on that and said, yeah, man, we like the fact that they're physical, they're going to block in the run game. Uh, two has got the accuracy to put it on the back shoulder when necessary. We're going to roll with a bunch of size and physicality. And then you get one year into the investment and Tua has the apprehension or the lack of uh, real strong feel for that. And you come out of the other end of that and said, wow, we spent all this money and invest all these draft picks. And, you know, maybe based on what Tua's real strengths and weaknesses are versus when we've seen him play at the pro level, now we need to add more to that to give him more versatility to keep other teams off balance even more. So the Dolphins kind of stood pat with skilled players, and they're going to get a chance to see Tua Tungavello. So you know what? Damn it. That comment about the tryout. It wasn't a tryout for Tua. <laughs> it's a tryout to see how Tua Tungavello performs, who he clicks with, what kinds of players he clicks with. And then that way, the Dolphins from here can choose to make investments into the skill group that are going to mesh really well with what they've seen from Tua playing at the pro level versus assuming you can completely replicate the Alabama offense or that you can transplant him from the Alabama offense into a different style and ideology of talent acquisition and that it's just going to work, no questions asked. It's a smart play. I like it. And I, it never really clicked for me until yesterday. Sitting there listening to Changeli talk about uh, what their controls and levels of the offense are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then from there, I start asking myself, okay, what does the Dolphins' investment look like in this group going forward? And I'm like, well, they stayed super static, so all these contracts were just a year closer to renewal. And then... In, Cameron Wolf of ESPN this morning with Brian Flores asked specifically about separation for wide receivers and where he kind of stands on that. And this was a really enjoyable response from Brian Flores. And, and Brian says, you know, I know they got next-gen stats and all these statistics about oh, having a millimeter or a centimeter separation at the, the, the target and so on and so forth. But he says it's, it's really a case-by-case basis was what Brian Flores said. He talked about, you know, a bigger body guy like Devante, his separation is his catch radius, effectively. Because if you throw it opposite of where the defender is leveraged, his arm span, his wingspan, that's the separation. It's not the separation from his body that matters. It's the separation from where the ball is when it arrives to the player, how well he addresses that football, and that separation from where the defender is through the body of the receiver. Now, that makes a ton of sense. 
But to hear Brian Flores vocalize that and to suggest you know, this is a case-by-case basis, I think that's important because, you know, if you're looking for pathways for, you know, how do the Dolphins prioritize certain receivers over others, knowing that there's a comfort level there of if our quarterback is accurate, throw it opposite leverage and expect those guys, then we we still need an upgrade over Preston Williams. But we need a, a player with better ball skills at the catch point. Preston Williams has had flashes of really nice body control, and I still think there's a ceiling there and potential there that's been untapped. But Miami can't just roll in and say, okay, Preston, come on back. You've missed the second half of two consecutive seasons with injuries. You were fairly raw as a route runner coming out of Colorado State. We're going to bank on you to be the other starting wide receiver when you're catching 51% of your targeted passes through your first 16 NFL games. That, to me, is too risky. You cannot afford that. So if you want that style of receiver, then okay, you know, Brian Flores opened the door for that with that comment. You know, he didn't tip anything about what the Dolphins are attending, and he said explicitly it's case by case. And I think Tua Tungavailoa's play and how he does develop chemistry with the big-bodied receivers that the Dolphins have may be the determining factor on what way they choose to steer how they invest in the offense from here. But he said, you know, if you've got big-bodied guys with good ball skills, then put it on the opposite end of their catch radius, and there's plenty of separation there, even if there's not separation from the body. Okay, that's a Jamar Chase-type receiver from LSU. Jamar Chase made a ton of plays on the ball, elevating high, high-pointing the football, and back-shoulder throws. We saw uh, Fitz try and hit Lynn Bowden on a back-shoulder uh, in this past game against the Jets in the first quarter. Kind of came up, rose out of a potential mesh point through a back shoulder. It was either an alert or a true RPO. And um, Bowden kind of located it late. The ball was probably a little bit too outside, and that's kind of the risk of working fits through the mesh point is the footwork. His ability to get his feet reset mechanically and have a base that's going to throw an accurate football, a super scatter shot. Uh, but we've seen Tua throw that back shoulder throw. We saw uh, Tua throw high point ball to Matt Collins in the red zone against the Cardinals. That alert back shoulder, I mean, we've seen him through, we've seen Tua come out of the mesh point and throw the speed out. To Jakeem Grant against off coverage against the Chargers, they ran it like three times. So I really enjoyed hearing Flores talk. So, so props to Cam for asking that question. Um, because it's there's there has been the assumption, right, that Miami's got size, 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 size. They need speed, 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 separation. Well, you can be big and explosive. A guy like Jamar Chase is that. I don't think Preston Williams is necessarily the most explosive receiver. His athletic testing pre-draft certainly didn't indicate that to be the case, and he had a bad pro day. His pro day numbers are not indicative of what his true athleticism is. Devontae Parker has size and explosiveness, and that's why you're a former first-round pick and top 20 selection. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. So whether you're looking for a healthy snack 
a breakfast on the go, something post-workout, or just like delicious things, Built Bar can fill the void for you. And best of all, Built Bar doesn't just taste good, it blows the nutritional facts of your typical protein bar out of the water. It's got 200 calories per bar or less, up to 20 grams of protein per bar, 18 delicious flavors to choose from, and one-seventh the grams of carbs and sugar of your typical protein bar. So if you're looking for a change-up in your diet, Visit BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, and you can save 20% off your next order of BuiltBar. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON, to save 20% and find out what all the fuss is about for yourself. So maybe I won't be so staunch or persistent about Jalen Waddell from Alabama being the wide receiver for the Dolphins to target. Brian Flores, case by case. Dolphins as a team investing in the trenches around a quarterback that is going to fit the style of play that the Dolphins have in general. Robert Hunt had some real nice plays against the Jets, pushing dudes around. Props to him. But they're going to wait and evaluate Tua on the field. They're going to have, quote-unquote, try out to see what the talent around him needs to look like before they make those investments instead of assuming what it should look like and making the investments simultaneously and then taking the risk that the Denver Broncos made uh, by bringing in a developing quarterback and surrounding him with developing players. That has not really clicked in Denver um, because Denver beat Miami by running the ball straight down their throat and attacking them physically. They didn't beat Miami by passing the ball on them. I don't care that Tim Patrick got cheap 60 yards on a throw that was supposed to go out of bounds at the end of the game. Last thing I'll leave you guys with is this, you know, charting this this Dolphins offense, and I thought there were some really nice wrinkles that were put on display, particularly when the Dolphins went 13. They went 13 heavy a couple of times in the first quarter. Uh, short yardage. So 13 is one running back, three tight ends. One of those three tight ends in 13 heavy is an extra offensive lineman. And they went on balance line a couple of times. The first time they put Adam Shaheen at left tackle and then took Austin Jackson and played him at right tight end next to Robert Hunt. And if Austin Jackson holds the block on the second level that he attached to, on that third and one or third and two run to Matt Breida, Matt Breida scores a 60-yard touchdown. The second time they did it was in Jets territory on third and two before they had the false start on the opening possession that moved them back to fourth and seven. They punted the football. And they did it the other way around this time. They did Robert Hunt at left tight end, and they took Adam Shaheen and played him on the line of scrimmage at the right tackle position with Durham Smythe outside of him and off the ball. And because they went on balanced line, Adam Shaheen lined up at right tackle on the unbalanced line, was eligible to go out for a pass on the play. You probably remember this play now. They faked the stretch run to the backside. Ryan Fitzpatrick boots to his right, throws it, And it's incomplete to Adam Shaheen, 15 yards downfield. 
And on the surface level, it's, wow, that was a bad throw. Wow, that throw was late. Wow, Shaheen probably drifted a little bit too far up the field. Ball's incomplete. But when you look at the structure of the play, it was really clever that they went unbalanced line. They had already showed this look and ran it to the unbalanced line. The way the formation was set up is you have a player aligned at right tackle that is eligible to go out for a pass as a tight end, and he does release, and when he gets out there at first, he is wide open. He is as open as open gets, and if Fitz throws it right away, Shaheen has a chance one-on-one against a safety on the third level of the defense to potentially break a tackle and score a touchdown. Fitz threw it way late. Ball didn't get out there on time. He was throwing it on the run. It had no juice on it. It was inaccurate. It was left inside, and the ball died on him, and the ball was incomplete. It's a limitation of Fitz. So when we talk about you know the strengths and weaknesses of both quarterbacks at this point in time, yeah, Fitz is a little bit more savvy. He's a little bit more successful identifying the one-on-ones on a consistent basis to throw to, hence feeding Devontae 14 targets. But that kind of stuff, Tua does better than him, and there's, there's very little question. And those are the kinds of components is why Tua Tungvaloa, despite the fact that he is not quote-unquote mastered, not anybody on the Dolphins' offense or coaching staff's word, the offense to the same degree as Ryan Fitzpatrick has. Because from an athleticism perspective, a footwork perspective, an accurate perspective, an arm strength perspective, Tua is better. So yes, he's a little bit more limited as far as how much of the playbook he has at his, at his disposal, But if they run that concept with Tua throwing on the run, it's probably on the outside shoulder and on a rope where it's supposed to be, and it's a completed pass. But that play structure is really clever. It goes down in the stat sheet as 0 for 1, 0 yards who end up punting the football. But there's little things. And the unbalanced line, the first one that that would have gone for a touchdown was a four-yard gain, first down conversion. I can't tell you how many times that's been the case for the Dolphins running game. That they are one backside block away or one second level block away from creating a ton of explosive plays in the run game. They're very close and that's what's frustrating because on any given play, five or six out of the seven guys in the box execute their job. It's a chemistry thing. It's a timing thing. It's an explosiveness for the running backs thing. It's a hand technique for the offensive lineman thing. It's a feel thing to feel and know where your offensive linemen are going to let defenders slip off and anticipate that and cut away from that instead of being patient and trying to press up into it and then the defender shucks the block and you're tackled then and there. This team's getting close in a lot of ways. So this is with so much youth and inexperience and not playing together. These are the kinds of things that you'll continue to see evolve and develop, and then you add more physical talent in the skill group. Maybe you upgrade one of your five starting spots on the offensive line. Your quarterback has a half a season of starting experience and a full offseason at his disposal to work on chemistry with his receivers. Let's go. Let's ride. Here's hoping we see the Dolphins invest in the offense the way they invested in the defense last year, and we see the same level of jump from the offense from 2020 to 2021 as what we saw from the defense from 2019 to 2020. Because if we see that, playoff contender, legit playoff contender is on the doorstep for this team.
tomorrow. Crossover series. Locked on Bengals. We're on the Cincinnati. Hoping to push the Bengals down to 2, 9, and 1. Hoping to help them in their bid to draft Penny Sewell with the number 3 overall pick. Kyle Krabs, Locked On Dolphins. I appreciate your listenership as always. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. A little bit more philosophical, a little less nuts and bolts of what happened on Sunday against the Jets. Everybody wants to talk about the offense. Everybody wants to talk about the quarterback. So let's talk about it, but let's talk about it from a contextualized lens uh, that kind of sets the table for more than just the surface level of Fitz versus Tua and who should start, etc. Tua Tagovailoa is the starter. But let's talk about why things work with each one and how we can get to a point where everything works with two. Keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. Thanks, as always, for listening, and I hope to talk to you guys again tomorrow.